But I got a phone in my pocket And I've been choosing that All of these moments I have missed All this time Wasting it But if this magic to find Still up ahead
Like David and his temple, I want to bring you praise. Like David and his temple plans, your ways are not my ways. You don't need me to build the temple to know that you love me still. Like Israel on the shore, all I see is crashing waves. Like Israel on the shore, it's through the wild you make way. I will go where you go, I will stay where you stay. Whoa. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. I don't want to go if you're not going before me. I want to see the land Like Moses in the desert I can't fully see your plan Still your love doesn't stop When I see the land from my mountaintop Whoa. Like Peter on the hill I want to make this my place like Peter on the hill Before your transfigured face I will go where you go I will stay where you stay Go. Uh -huh.
like Jesus in the garden. You don't call, you won't leave. I wanna love like you love. I wanna bleed like you bleed. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us here at City Church, and thank you if you're tuning in on our live stream for joining us. My name's Jay. I'm the director of worship here. It's a joy to be able to sing together, to hear from God's word together, and uh, share this time. Um, I'm going to read a call, actually a couple passages for our call to worship this morning, and uh, just listen to them and prepare your hearts for worship. First passage is John 10, verses 11 through 15. Actually, I'm going to start with Psalm 23. This is a familiar one to many of you. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is John 10, 11 through 15. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's pray together. Our Father, we begin this morning remembering Christ, our good shepherd, the one who leads us in paths of righteousness, the one who restores our soul, the one who laid down his own life for his sheep. We praise you for your mercy and goodness found in Christ. We praise you for his work on our behalf. Those, God, whose trust is in you, no longer need to fear. You are with us. You love us and you care for us. God, what boundless love we see in the cross. May we sing to you with grateful hearts this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing together.
you join me, let's sing together. stop working 
Good morning. There we go. Hey, uh, great to see you all. Thank you for coming out on a little bit of a rainy Sunday morning to worship with us. Um, let me find announcements. There we go. Uh, I'm Ryan. I am one of the pastors here and really thrilled to get to worship with you this morning. Uh, at City Church, we aspire to be an authentic community that is walking with God in our city. That is our, our ethos, our DNA as a church, and we hope and pray that you experience the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ this morning in this worship gathering, as well as in the, the relationships that you get to uh, share with one another. Uh, each week we have bulletins that are handed out at the front. There should be a connection card tucked inside of that, and that is a great way to let us know you were here, uh, to let us know if you would like information about anything or would like help getting plugged in with the church. There are all kinds of boxes you can check and info you can fill out there. Um, and there's also a slot for prayer requests on the back. And uh, Chipper and I pray through those on Monday afternoons, and we'd love to get your prayer requests. So please do encourage you to fill that out, whether you're new, whether this is your millionth time here, uh, to fill that out. And you can drop it in the brown box on your way out, or there's a little pocket on the seat back in front of you. You can just slip it in there, and we'll pick it up after the service. Um, we worship a generous God, and part of our response of worship is giving generously. And so if you would like to give this morning, there are lots of ways you can do that. You can always give online, um, or if you'd like to give in person here, you can drop a, a gift in the box on your way out as well. Uh, we have a bunch of announcements. I'm going to scoot through them real quick. Uh, so first, community groups are on break right now, but they are, they are going to resume. Some will resume in July, some will resume in August. But this is a great time to check out community groups, consider getting plugged in with them. I, I refer you to our website. You can see the list of Current community groups will also be probably adding some and tweaking some and all that, but get in touch with some of the community group leaders there. Or if you want more information about CGs, visit our hospitality table back here in the back. There'll be a hospitality person there after the service, and they can give you more information. You can also get signed up uh, for Realm, which is our social media system uh, and the way that we communicate together as a church. You can also get signed up for that at the welcome table. So please, if you're not on that, go get signed up for that. Um, we need... We have been blessed with a lot of little ones in our church uh, body, and we need children's ministry volunteers badly. Um, right now, we, as we moved back indoors, we expanded the scope of our children's ministry, and so we have three classes up here, three classes downstairs, as well as check-in people and ushers, floaters, all of that. So I think it's 14 to 16 volunteers per Sunday that are required just to care for our kids which is wonderful, but uh, we need help. So if you would, if, if you're not serving in another way in the church and you at all could uh, get interested in, in uh, if you're interested in children's ministry, then please come and uh, visit the welcome table actually at the back. You can indicate interest on your uh, connection card and we'll get you connected. But also if you want to sign up this morning, you can. That's what Jay was just pointing me to. We have applications. We have all the information that you need. We have a recruitment officer over there. Um, I don't know what the signing bonus is. <laughs> Probably a kid's t-shirt. Uh, but yes, please do come and uh, get connected with Children's Ministry if you're interested in that and you can serve. And guys, there are a lot of different ways. Like um, before I was a dad, I was pretty uncomfortable with kids, but I, it was still, I could still get plugged in with Children's Ministry at a previous church. And there were a lot of different ways that you could serve, like with check-in, uh, or you can be an assistant, so you're not necessarily teaching a class, and it's super low 
bar to get in. So if you can hang out with kids, uh, you can you can do it. So please do please do come. Um, uh, some some more announcements. So we have a membership class coming up uh, June twenty seventh. It will be one to five p.m. I believe in the community room over there. Yep, this is a way to find out more information about our church. Should we do a taste and see, which is kind of like the first step, find out. Uh, 30,000 foot overview of the church, and this is a deeper dive into beliefs, into DNA and culture, and some of the rhythms of our church, and how you serve, and get plugged in, and all of that. Um, there's no obligation. You can go to the membership class and, and just for information, and then there's a follow-up process after that, so even if you decide not to become a member, there's no pressure, uh, but if you are newer to the church, you're not a member, and you're interested in this, please let us know. Again, indicate interest on the connection card or RSVP on Realm. We hope you will attend that. We have a women's summer mixer, summer women's mixer, sorry, uh, that is July 16th. Wow, look at that. Isn't that so beautiful? Uh, uh, when, uh, July 16th, 6 to 9 p.m. I think it's at the Valentine's house, and more details are avail available on Realm and on Facebook. So if you are a woman, you're qualified to attend this, I believe. So uh, come and, and check that out. Uh, a reminder to members, we have a, a ballot that's out to ratify a few deacon candidates as well as nominate additional deacons, so you should have received an email with that this week. If you haven't filled that out yet, please do do that. I think the deadline for that is tomorrow. Uh, we also want to, oh, uh, there's a homeless street outreach that is scheduled for this afternoon, but we're keeping an eye on the weather. We're going to make a call for uh, about that later this afternoon as we can see uh, what the weather's going to look like, I believe around 1 o'clock. I think Landon will be your point person for, yeah, he's volunteered to do that. Landon's the point person. If you have questions about that, uh, get in touch with him, and he'll let you know. But I want to say thank you to, to Tyler, Chipper. Um, I'm not sure who all has been involved in organizing that, but uh, there's, there's been a lot of energy and work that's gone into trying to create a ministry to care for the homeless in our downtown community. Of course, that's a big need. And so we're really grateful for uh, all the work you're doing there. Okay, uh, two acknowledgments. One, uh, Rick Parker. Is he in here? He's probably downstairs with the kids. Uh, Rick Parker is an amazing man. He, uh, a man of many talents. And he, during the pandemic over the last year, when we were outside at First Magnitude, he painted this beautiful mural of all of the, he, I think he took different snapshots and kind of made it as a, a collage and, and, and made this mural of uh, basically the experience of City Church outdoors. Oh, we have a picture, there we go. Uh, yeah, the experience of City Church. And uh, yeah, Mass and all of that. I love Caleb is like this in the front. And um, you know, it, it just captured this, this portion of City Church history. I'm really grateful for that. It is hanging downstairs in the children's ministry room, and so um, you have a picture here. If you'd like to go and take a look at it, uh, you may be able to after all the kids have been dismissed this morning. So give time for parents to pick up all the kids and all that, and then we'll open up the hallway and you can go down there. But say thank you to Rick if you see him. Um, encourage him. I mean, it's just that's a really wonderful gift, and I'm sure a lot of work went into that. Second acknowledgement, today's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to dads out there. Yes, happy Father's Day. Um, I started my day with Frozen this morning, so I've gotten my dose of fatherhood. 
we have some gifts. If you're a dad, grandfather, dad at heart, whatever, we have, uh, you like dad jokes. There are uh, dad's root beers. I was going to say, we have beer for you, dad is root beer, but, well, I just said it, but uh, <laughs> we have root beer for you out there. Dad's root beer, I know, it's bad. And uh, also, Esther Frakowitz put together uh, a barbecue rub. And that's a gift also for dads out there. So there's barbecue rub. She said there's no salt in it, so make sure to add salt. But all the other spices are there. And, uh, bar- and some root beer on your way out. And, um, yeah, grateful for you. We also recognize, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, big holidays, stuff like this can also be hard days, difficult days for us for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so we want to spend some time doing a pastoral prayer, both celebrating with those who are celebrating and, and grieving with those who are grieving and praying for God's spirit to be at work in our hearts. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll turn to Scripture. Uh, Father, we thank you that in our Lord's Prayer, uh, the first thing he tells us, the first way he tells us to address you, the first thing about you is that you are Father, that you exhibit all of the greatest qualities and attributes that we can imagine in the the most perfect father for that's what you are kindness strength care compassion justice mercy graciousness lord and over all of these things love and so we we come and worship you this morning as our heavenly father and we thank you lord that no matter our background, no matter our relationship with our Father, no matter if we are celebrating today or if we are grieving today or a combination of the two, uh, Lord, that you are our, our true, wonderful, perfect, heavenly Father who we, who we always are connected with, who we will never lose now or in eternity. And Lord, we want to uh, thank you for the gift of fatherhood. We thank you for uh, the gift of of children and the gift of raising little ones um, for those who are dads and, and grandfathers in here. Thank you for the, uh, the opportunity that that is. And Lord, I want to pray that you would empower and encourage the, the fathers and the, the grandfathers in this church, in our midst this morning, Lord, that you would strengthen them, empower them, uh, sustain them for the, the important ministry that they have of pouring into their kids. Um, I pray that you would shape us all to be more in the likeness of Christ and that you would shape fathers to uh, image you, to be an an image of you as our Heavenly Father to uh, our children. Thank you for the role that we get to play, whether we have biological children or adoptive children uh, or not, that for the role that we get to play as uh, fathers and, and leaders of the kids in our church body, the investment that we get to make, even things like serving in children's ministry and the, the positive example that men can set uh, of the heart of the Father to kids. And we're just really grateful for that. And Lord, we also recognize that this is, can be a difficult day for, for some, for many, um, whether we are grieving the loss of a, of a dad or grandfather, uh, we are maybe experiencing estrangement or some kind of absence. Um, Lord, I, I just want to pray, or, or, or maybe even possibly some unfulfilled longings 
to, to be a father that haven't been realized yet. God, I pray, would you comfort those who are hurting this morning? Would you comfort those who are grieving? Would you comfort with your, your peace that surpasses all understanding, with your presence, Lord, with your goodness and with your love? And Lord, would you remind us of the precious promises that we have in Christ, that you never leave us or forsake us, uh, that, we, that you are ours for all eternity if our trust is in you. And so, Lord, may this be a day that we glorify you, our faith in you grows, and that we grow to image you uh, more completely. We pray all this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. So we are continuing our series through Ezra and Nehemiah. Today we turn, we just closed Ezra. We are turning to the book of Nehemiah, chapters 1 and 2. I encourage you to open your Bibles and follow along. If you have those, I think the passage will also be up on the screen, so you can follow there. Nehemiah 1 and 2, and I tried to come up with ways to, if it was possible, to you know, skip through portions of this, and I just couldn't feel like I could do it without cutting out an important section of this text. So we are going to read through this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly, uh, but I, I trust you follow along. And um, I wrote a shorter sermon to account for it, so you know, there's that. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, uh, as I was in Susa the citadel, that, that Hanini, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nason. In the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the hearts. 
Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter of Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams, beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the, the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave, the kings, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and, and horsemen, but with Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Amorite, Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, so, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant uh, the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is God's word. In 2008, a well-known pastor of the day gave a conference message that challenged and convicted and inspired me so profoundly that it still echoes in my mind to this day. In his call for Christian men and women to live lives of radical sacrifice for the name of Christ, he quoted a little book that was written in 1939 by Howard Guinness titled simply Sacrifice. And in it, Guinness wrote this, he said, where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death 
who will lose their lives for Christ's, flinging them away for love of him. Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in the service? Where are the men of prayer? Where are the men who count God's word of more importance to them than their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend? Where are God's men in this day of God's power? Perhaps one of the best places to turn in Scripture for such an example is the book of Nehemiah. As we begin this portion of our summer series, turning from Ezra into this book, I wanted to focus on one particular attribute, attribute that we see in this book's opening, and that is namely courage, the courage of Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah gives us a stunning portrait of and field guide for living courageously. And so this morning, we're going to consider the picture and the practice of godly courage, the picture and the practice of godly courage. So first, the picture uh, just to recap a little bit of the context, uh, the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are set in middle and near eastern 6th and 5th century BC. They recount the journeys of the Israelites from exile in Persia back to Jerusalem, uh, and also their rebuilding and their restoring efforts in that city. And Nehemiah represents the third wave of exiles that are returning to Jerusalem. So uh, there were two waves in Ezra and then Nehemiah happens 13 years after the last chapter of Ezra, and he represents the third wave. Um, and for a more detailed dive into the context, I'd refer you back to the first sermon from the series in Ezra. But almost immediately in this book, we are struck by something. We are struck by Nehemiah's character. And there are a few attributes that stand out about his character. The first is that he has this deep trust in God. Nehemiah is devastated to learn that Jerusalem's walls and gates have been destroyed. This means that the country's capital city is left defenseless and the people are embarrassed. Yet in his grief and sorrow, his trust in God rings through. Over and over again, he refers to the Lord as the God of heaven, which is this deliberate expression of confidence in God's authority and power and sovereignty over all of his creation. You think about it, even in the midst of exile, when Nehemiah is living in a foreign land, he's probably never even been to his hometown. And his people are scattered. He trusts that God is in control. And not only that, he remembers and clings to the covenant promises of God. In his prayer early on, he is quoting, he's, go, he's referring back to the Pentateuch, back to Moses in Deuteronomy 30. Despite the bleakness of his circumstances, Nehemiah trusts God from the bottom of his heart. A second attribute that stands out is that he is a, he is a genuinely humble man. You know, in contrast to his high view of God, really in light of it, honestly, he views himself with great humility. Throughout the course of the prayer, did you notice how many times he uses the word servant? He either refers to himself as your servant or to the Israelites as your servants six different times by my count in one paragraph. That's a lot of repetition. 
you know, and given his role as the king's cupbearer, he was probably accustomed to living as a servant, being a servant, right? But what we see here is that that wasn't just his day job. During the day, he worked as a servant of the Persian king, Artaxerxes. But his identity was a servant to the God of heaven. We see this humility elsewhere in his prayer. He didn't place blame for the city's destruction and the ruins on others. He owns his own sin. He confesses his sin. He said, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So he is a genuinely humble man. And he has this deep trust in God. He's genuinely humble. And then third, we see that he has a sincere care for others. He has a sincere care for others. You know, some of the Assyrian, the Babylonian, Persian kings were not exactly the most stable people. You didn't want to get on their bad side. And Nehemiah was trustworthy, obviously, to serve as a cupbearer. You're putting your life in this man's hands. He's testing all your food before it comes. You got to taste a lot of good wine, but if you ever made the wrong person mad, it might be your last sip of wine, right? So he had this important position, but he had to recognize that if the king took his request the wrong way, Nehemiah would likely pay for it with his life. But he was willing to endanger himself in order to help his fellow Israelites back home. And remember, this was not going to directly benefit him. Nehemiah was allowed to return home, build the wall, and then come back. So he embarked on this journey for the good of his people and his homeland, and he was willing to put his life on the line for it. So how do these things, these attributes, relate to godly courage? Well, I think they are prerequisites for it. Godly courage requires more than that, of course, and we'll get into that in a second, but it can't be less than that. You know, you can be successful without being courageous. You can work hard and you can earn a degree or you can build a business and work to the top of your field, and all of those things are they're wonderful achievements, but they're not necessarily courageous, right? And I would say, and this may be splitting hairs a little bit, that you can even be brave without being courageous. Bravery, in my mind, is facing some kind of difficulty, overcoming fear and rising to the occasion, right? But courage is more than that. When we think of courage, what picture comes to mind? I think of a soldier that's fighting on the front lines to defend others, or a kid who's standing up in his class against to, standing up to the bully to protect the latest victim, or healthcare workers who go into the ICU during a pandemic even though they don't know what the risk is going to be to them. Courage is inherently other-oriented and sacrificial, and godly courage is inherently done in the name of and the power of God himself. You see, it is the attitude of the heart that defines godly courage. It's not the scope of the work. It's not recognition from others. It's not expectations for remuneration. But the internal motivation of seeking good for another in the face of danger. It's the internal motivation of love and faith. And that is what differentiates godly courage from 
any kind of other selfish ambition, right? The latter focuses on the advancement and success of the self. The former focuses on the good of the other, even at cost to oneself. And that's the kind of action that takes our breath away. Eric Metaxas, an author, uh, wrote this account of Harriet Tubman's life. Uh, he said, Harriet Tubman was born into to slavery on a Maryland plantation in 1822. As she grew up, she was made to work driving oxen, trapping muskrats in the woods, and as a nursemaid. Harriet's owners frequently whipped her, and she endured the pain of seeing three of her sisters sold, never to see them again. But there were also rays of joy in her life as well. Harriet's mother told her stories from the Bible, which developed in her a deep and abiding faith in God. When Harriet was about 26 years old, she learned that she might be sold away from her family. And so the time had come to try to escape. She made her way some 90 miles along the Underground Railroad. She traveled at night to avoid slave catchers following the North Star until she reached Pennsylvania and her freedom. Once there, she dared to make a dangerous decision. She risked her own freedom in order to give others theirs. For eight years, she led scores of slaves north to freedom. During those trips, she relied upon God to guide and protect her. She never once lost a runaway slave. As Harriet herself later put it, I never ran my train off the track and I never lost a passenger. And she gave all the credit to God, explaining, "'Twas the Lord, twant me. I was told, I always told him, I trust in you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. Her faith deeply impressed others. As abolitionist Thomas Garrett put it, I never met with any person who had any more confidence in the voice of God as spoken directly to their soul. No wonder she was known as Moses to her people. You see this beautiful example of courageous leadership, sacrifice and service to others. So that is a picture of godly courage. How do we practice that, though? How does that, how does that work its way out in our life today? Well, I want to look at five steps that we learn from Nehemiah's example for living with godly courage, a sort of field manual here. Five steps. The first is depend on God. When the king takes note of his condition and inquires... How does Nehemiah respond? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said. Nehemiah, Nehemiah thoroughly dependent on God as he opened his mouth, not knowing what the response was going to be. Do you live with that kind of dependence on the Lord? Is a vital relationship with Christ the foundation of your life? If not, he offers to be the only unshakable bedrock available in this world. If you want to build a cathedral of worship with your life, start with a firm foundation. Second, desire a difference. Nehemiah heard the news from his brother in around November, December, and the king didn't take note of his anguish until April, which meant that Nehemiah prayed and wept and fasted for four months. 
His heart was broken for the sin of his people and the ruins of his home. And he yearned to see both the city and his people restored. What makes you weep? What pains your heart? What godly thought fills you with joy? What do you yearn to see change for the glory of God and the good of others? Is there something God has called you to that you haven't yet pursued? After depending on God, courage requires a desire to make a meaningful difference in this world. It could be caring for the poor, the sick, the disabled, or the abandoned. It could be taking the gospel to your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, or unreached people groups around the globe. It could be fighting to aid those afflicted by famine and drought, war, or pestilence. It could mean being sacrificially generous with your time and money to support those in need. There are endless possibilities for serving others with compassion. And the courage to step into unreached, unfamiliar, uncomfortable, or even unsafe places begins with a sincere desire to make a difference. And if you don't yet know what that is, ask God to reveal that to you. Pray fervently, as Nehemiah did, for clarity and conviction and see what God impresses upon your heart. Third, make a plan. When the king inquired about Nehemiah Sar, did you notice how prepared he was? You know, for planners like me, it just warms my heart. Nehemiah had thought through all the specific provisions that would be needed, where they would be sourced from, who would need to be contacted, how long the project would take, and where he would stay. During his time of prayer and lament, he was also planning and waiting for the opportunity. Planning is essential. All the desire in the world will never be translated into action without thought about what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. Strategic planning is not a lack of faith that may in fact be the manifestation of faith as you trust God to work in the plans that you set. And it's really helpful to know yourself here in this area. Some of us may struggle to plan. We prefer to kind of fly by the seat of our pants. And while spontaneity can be valuable, our failure to plan may actually be limiting our effectiveness. Though it may feel like drudgery, you should discipline yourself to plan a little more in that area that you feel God's called you to. Other of us, others of us may struggle with overplanning. This is probably me. We prefer to have every detail covered twice over before we feel comfortable moving forward with something. And while thoroughness can be helpful, getting stuck in analysis paralysis can also hinder making real progress. Though it may feel a little scary, we have to discipline ourselves to plan a little less and move to action a little bit sooner. Knowing yourself and your proclivities here will help tremendously. So after we make a plan, fourth, cast a vision. Cast a vision. When he arrived in Jerusalem... Nehemiah didn't immediately tell anyone what his plan was. Instead, he snuck out in the evening to survey the walls and the gates. And it was after spending that time assessing and planning and certainly praying that he returned to the city, and then he shared the news with the locals. He said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah outlined the bleakness of their current state of affairs, but then he painted a picture of what it could be. 
He envisioned a future where Jerusalem was protected, their honor was restored, and God was glorified as a result of this. Sometimes the reason we struggle to step into something courageously is simply a lack of vision. We may have a love for God, we may have a passion for some issue, we may even have ideas about how to improve that issue, but we lack a clear vision of where we want to go, and so it never really gets off the ground. It is our love of God and our love for people that motivates us, that fuels us towards some cause. But it is a vision that inspires us to actually get up and get going. It is a clear vision that will translate the yearning of our heart into the effort of our hands. You, th- you see the examples of the ways that Jesus casts vision to his disciples. As his disciples are talking and trying to figure out John 4, after his interaction with the Samaritan woman, evangelism, and all that stuff, and Jesus is, he says, do you not see, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for the harvest. He reorients his disciples to the, to the reality of what is available around them. He casts a vision of their evangelistic possibilities, and it inspires the disciples to spread the gospel around the known world, to be his witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Finally, after casting a vision, five, we act in faith. Act in faith. Finally, Nehemiah shared with them how God's hand had been upon him and the favor that was granted to him from the king. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah began with trusting God. He asked the king by trusting God, and he started the work by trusting God. He worked by faith. And at the end of the day, after you have prayed and fasted, after the Lord has given you a desire for something, after you have made a plan, after you've gotten your vision clear, the final step is to act. For some, this may be the most exciting part. They're itching to finally get their hands dirty, right? For others, this may be the most terrifying part. It involves stepping way beyond what is comfortable, way beyond just the theoretical and the dreaming and actually doing something. For most of us, it's some mixture of the two. But regardless of where we fall on that spectrum, what we must remember is that we act by, with, and for God. If we are excited, we remember that God's hand strengthens us, and that will keep us humble. If we are anxious, we remember that God's hand sustains us, and that will give us peace. As one of my friends recently reminded me, God always pays what he orders. He always provides for those he calls, and therefore we can act in faith with confidence in the God of heaven. And finally, there's a promise. There's a promise of godly courage. You know, the Lord promised to restore his people. And he did. When they returned to him, repented of their sins, God brought them back to their homeland and brought about covenant renewal. But there was still a greater fulfillment yet to come. 450 years after Nehemiah, God put on flesh and came into this world. He was the greatest picture of godly courage imaginable. He perfectly trusted God the Father even through the most harrowing circumstances. 
He was genuinely humble. Although the king of the universe, he stooped down to live as a servant of his creation. His primary purpose for coming was in fact selfless, sacrificial care for those in need. He came not to restore a city with brick and mortar, but to restore the souls of men to God. And he did so by paying the penalty of our sin in our place so that we could be forgiven and made righteous again through him. With faith, humility, and the deepest love the world has ever seen, Jesus endured the agony of the cross so that we could live. He was the perfect expression of godly courage, and he not only gives us the model, but also the strength for such godly courage. I fear no foe with thee at hand to blessed. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Amen. We turn now to a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Each week we remember uh, Christ's body broken and his blood shed for us through the elements represented here. And it is a way that we actively remember Christ's sacrifice for our forgiveness, for the covenant that we have in him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Later on during the meal, he took the cup and pouring it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul writes that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember his sacrifice We actively put our trust in him now, and we look ahead to the day when we will be with him for all eternity. A few words of instruction. Um, We will have a couple stations up here. Elders and elder deacon will have a basket with prepackaged communion kits up here. And so we'll have a few moments of silence, and then after that they'll be up here. And you're welcome to come and receive uh, one of those packets if you would like. If, if you'd prefer to serve yourself um, and don't want to come close to folks, then there's also a, a basket back on the welcome table where you can uh, get the elements there. This is open to anyone who's a follower of Christ. You don't have to be a member at City Church or come here regularly. If you profess faith in Christ, you're welcome to participate here. And if you're here this morning and you'd say that doesn't describe you, we're just thrilled that you're that you're here and spending your Sunday morning with us. I encourage you to use this time to contemplate some of the stuff that we've talked about this morning and consider if you would like to trust in Christ. If you'd like prayer uh, or if you'd like to talk more about this, we would love to do that. There will be a deacon or an elder available during communion back in the lobby. uh, And so, or after, sorry, after communion during the worship back in the lobby. Um, So please come and receive prayer if you would like that. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this gift of mercy and love. Thank you for your body. Uh, Thank you for Christ's body broken for us and blood shed for us on the cross. Lord, that through him we may be forgiven. 
Thank you that he did not fear death, but Lord, went into the maelstrom with the greatest example of courage this world has ever seen and the greatest example of love, Lord. I pray this morning, would you renew our faith in you as a good heavenly father, renew our faith in Christ as a sufficient, glorious, wonderful savior. And Lord, meet us in our place of need. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Feels like an ocean of sorrow is under my skin. Even the ocean eventually meets with the same. Sorrow on sorrow, I'm waiting. Heavy, I'm anticipating. Trusting the current will carry me.
Sing, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, feed me now and evermore. Bread of heaven, feed me
anxious fears bid my anxious fears land me safe on Canaan side bid my anxious fears bid my anxious fears goodbye thank you again for worshiping with us this morning uh, quick reminder to grab a gift on your way out dads and um, if you'd like more information or would like to get connected with children's ministry visit the welcome table or fill out your connection card our benediction this morning comes from second uh, corinthians 13, the very end of the book, Paul writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God. Go in peace.
substance of my being mm-hmm. feels worthless when I'm weak. I make my own mistakes, but you cover with grace. I'm keeping score and I'm certain. Just know your presence to me. You got me on a heartbeat. Mm, one other than my own. And you got my spirit running. And now we're singing the same song. 